Well, good morning, Journey. How's everybody doing today? Good? All right, that, that was a little weak. How's everybody doing today? All right, I want to hear it. Hey, you know, little snow, little ice, you know, what is that? <laughs> That's nothing, unless you live in Central Texas, and it's a big deal, right? Uh, so it turns into a big deal. Well, we are thankful you're here with us this morning. Those that are listening on our live stream, we're just we're so grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, and so we're going to be sharing a little bit later uh, what we've been doing here at The Journey, uh, kind of the sermon series we're going through uh, here uh, at The Journey. I want to share with you um, how you can engage also uh, in the kingdom of God here. But a couple of things just to let you know about. So if you're here connecting with us for the first time, we'd invite you to fill out one of our connect cards. They're just there in the seat back in front of you. There's some on the back welcome table, uh, and our our, um, our hospitality team would love uh, to help you with those as well. There's also a basket back there. You can just set that in there on your way out or leave it in your seat. We just love to send you some information about the Journey Church and our ministries here. If you're listening online, just go to our website at thejourneyclean.com. There's a little tab there that says connect. Just click on that, and you connect as well. The other thing I want to remind you about, we put, at, put these out at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's a five-day uh, Bible reading plan. So if you don't have currently a plan you have that you're digging into the Word, I know several of our people are using this. It's a great way to get into the Word of God. I don't know about you. I, I'm one of those. I, I need to have little boxes where I can track what I'm doing or else I'm not going to be accountable to do it. And so, uh, so these help you. Uh, and so they are there for you this morning. So we started a series um, several weeks back entitled uh, Help My Unbelief. What do we do when we have doubts? Okay, so, so we started at the very beginning saying, you know, can Christians have doubts? Because, I mean, all of us probably have heard it one time or another. If you're a believer, you shouldn't doubt. You should never have doubts. Well, you'd have to discount every person who ever led in this Bible other than Jesus Christ because all of them had doubts, right? Every disciple had doubts. In fact, we talked about Matthew, um, you know, last week. Uh, they were, uh, he proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. But even after that, Jesus talked about how Jesus was, gonna, he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be crucified. And so then he's like, wait a minute, come here, Jesus. Let's back up the bus. Let me rebuke you a little bit. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, right? Because Peter was trying to step in front of Jesus. He was trying to lead the way. See, we all have doubts. We all have those in our life. What do we do with doubts when they come? Um, so I was reading up an article. There's a, uh, uh, he was a bishop called Leslie Newbigin. Probably the name means nothing to you, uh, but he was a pioneer in uh, not only apologetics, but also in the mission field uh, way back at the turn of the century. Um, anyway, but he talked about, um, you know, what's happening, I think is relevant for now. He's talking about how publicly we accept certain things as truth, right? Knowledge. If you've ever heard science is true, right? Or just trust the science is probably the term you've heard a lot lately, right? Just trust the science, right? We got to believe in the scientists. They know what they're talking about. So basically what he said is, is the knowledge given to society by science, many people ascribe as truth. In fact, he said that, um, that there, whether you believe it or not, or whether you've ever even, um, you know, looked at the science to verify it for yourself, most people take that as truth. But he says, the thing is, is in the public also understands that faith claims, however, he said, will not be widely accepted since they in our culture are considered what? Matters of opinion, right? So he says, faith, your faith, that's a matter of opinion for you. Okay, so I want to hopefully by the end of this morning, I want to prove to you that we have an assured faith, right? It's not a pie in the sky. It's not a blind faith. We don't just blindly fall into religion. We don't just blindly fall into church. We don't just blindly fall into Jesus Christ. It is an assured thing, right? It doesn't mean we don't have doubts, but I think when Christians doubt, it's different than when the world doubts. So in light of those two situations, I want to give you two ways that I think we should respond. The first thing is, Christians should realize how important it is to understand how the world thinks, okay? Notice I said, understand how they think. Don't, don't start thinking like the world. We need to understand how the world thinks because if we're going to reach them with the gospel, we need to know. I mean, we need to know these things. The second thing is Christian scholars, thinkers, preachers, uh, leaders in the church, 
should patiently explore ways to in, insert that knowledge into our culture. How do, we, how do we take the knowledge we know of the gospel? I don't know if you've ever sat down with somebody and tried to explain the gospel to them, right? Just try to explain Jesus Christ. And it's like, man, it's just hitting a brick wall. You just see this blank look. And, and, and they're wanting you to prove this to be true. Does Jesus' willingness to give us truth do we truly take truth for what it is? So if you have your Bible this morning, I'll invite you. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 9, and we're going to follow a little piece of, of this story uh, as we go through. Um, so let me give you, I'll, I'll just give you kind of a rundown of what's happening. We're going to begin in chapter 9, verse 14. Okay, so right before this, you had this thing called the transfiguration. What this was, was Jesus went up with uh, Peter, James, and John. Those were like, that was his crew. Those were his close ones. He took them up on this mountain, and literally, he became transfigured, and he had Elijah, and you had Moses, you had all these prophets that had come before that joined him there, and so they had this great experience. Now they're coming down off the mountain, and, and this is where we pick up in Mark 9, verse 14. If you'll follow along with me. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes urging, arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Okay, this is a key point. Why were they amazed? Well, he had just been transfigured. I mean, I, I think probably there was something different about Jesus' countenance, much like Moses after he got the Ten Commandments came down. Okay, and, and so they were amazed, and, and so they came up to him, and then in verse 16, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and, and becomes rigid, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able Okay, so pause there for a minute. So this is what's happening. So they're coming down. So nine of the disciples stayed behind. Okay, they were down on the bottom of this mountain. And this man really wanted to bring his son to Jesus. But since Jesus was disposed at the time, he brought him to the nine other believers. And they could not cast out whatever this was in him. We know he had seizures. We know he was mute. Most people believe probably an evil spirit of some kind was inside of him. And so now he's bringing him to Jesus to give him answers. And then in verse 19, he said, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell down and ground his teeth and began to roll and foam at the mouth. And Jesus answered, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, okay, so consider this, your child, from childhood, this has been going on, right? He's had this evil spirit in him, he's being thrown down, he's convulsing, he's foaming at the mouth, this has happened, and now he's an adult, okay? So this has been going on a long time. And, and so after Jesus asked that, and he said, from childhood, and then, and then in verse 22 it says, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So I want you to just remember that word, if. Okay, it says, if you can do something, I'm calling you to do something. And then verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirits to it. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and, and convulsing him terribly, he came out of the boy, was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted it up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. So now his disciples were pulling Jesus aside and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, so we're going to talk about a couple of things this morning. There's a lot going on in this story. So what does this mean? What makes all things possible with God? 
What makes all things possible with with God in your life and in my life? Is it the emphasis on the amount of faith and belief? Does it mean if you have enough faith? That's what a lot of our Christian culture would tell you today. If you just have enough faith, if you just have enough belief, this will happen. So, So is it the quality and the quantity of your faith that makes you whole? Is that what truly heals you? See, the man's faith must have already been shaken because obviously you're taking him to the disciples and they couldn't do anything. They're like, we don't understand. Why could we not do this? And so now Jesus is is standing with this man in this scene. So I want you to note something. The opposition of the teachers of the law and, and the apparent unbelief of the disciples in the crowd deeply grieved our Messiah. It deeply grieved Jesus. And he calls them a faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. Jesus is frustrated. And so the setting of the scene, you have all of this going on all around Jesus. And so I want you to consider something this morning. And this is our big idea. Is that the quality of your faith doesn't save you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Jesus saves you. It's not because I I guarantee you, you can ask anybody. There's nobody that comes to faith in Christ that doesn't have doubts. If they do, I would tell you they're not being honest. We all have doubts somewhere, okay? Now, what is saving faith? And so we're going to answer three questions this morning. The first one, what is believing? Because Jesus said, if only you believe. And then it said in this kind of contradiction, then what what did the man do? He cried out, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So does he believe or doesn't he? I mean, you can't have it both ways. How's our doubt many times driven by past disappointments? I'm sure this man had been disappointed over and over and over again. People today in our culture are looking for a sure thing, right? How many of you like sure things when you go buy a car? Yeah, I do, right? I want you to guarantee that thing is not going to break down. My Ford truck, that poor, sad, lonely thing in a graveyard probably somewhere, the transmission went out twice. And the second time I went back, I took it to the guy in the transmission shop and said, I assure you this time, it's going to be fixed. It's going to work, right? I'm like, okay, I've heard this before. This doesn't work for me. What I do? I didn't get 10 miles down the road. I hear it's clunk, clunk, clunk. Every time I'm changing gears, I'm like, it doesn't work. So everybody wants a sure thing. We want to believe in something real. Um, anybody, have y'all seen the Polar Express Christmas movie? Okay. Used to be my kids, one of our favorite movies to watch at Christmas time. So you have this train. I'll just give you the, the broad. It's a magical train on Christmas Eve, right? It's kind of creepy if you think about it, but it pulls up and picks these kids up out in the abyss of nowhere, right? And the kids get on this train, and they're supposedly going to the North Pole. And it's guided by this conductor, right? And there's this particular scene where the boy just kind of slips on the coal and slips down, and the conductor remembers back. He says, ah, years ago, on my first Christmas Eve run, I was up on the roof making my rounds when I slipped on the ice myself. I reached out for a hand of iron, but it broke off. So he's talking about he tried to grab the, the control, right, to keep from falling. And I slid and I fell, and yet I did not fall off the train. And there's a little girl that, that actually the boy had made friends with. She said, someone saved you. Conductor said, or something. Girl said, an angel. Conductor said, maybe, but he didn't say it with a real convincing yes. And the boy asked, wait, wait, what did you, what did he look like? Did you see him? And the conductor said, and this is, I thought this was real significant in the movie. He said, no, sir. Sometimes seeing is believing, and sometimes the most real things in the world are things we can't see, okay? The most real things in this life, I I will tell you that we talk about being an authentic Christian, the most real things you can see you, you believe in are things you can't see, right? I mean, you woke up this morning. Uh, you're obviously not passed out on our floor here, so you can breathe, right? Do you see the air around you? Did you know you had oxygen to breathe in your lungs? No, we just trust it's going to be there. I would use water as an analogy, but most of you, that's failed you this week, right? You, when you turn on the spigot, nothing comes out. Turn on the electric switch. So they're, they're not necessarily sure things in this life. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those who love good, all, all things work together for the good of those who are called. According to his purpose, we know that for those who love him, he's working everything out. But we don't know how all of that is arranged. So now let's get to the key point. Where is the if of our belief? Where does the if begin, right? So you notice the man said, if you can. I mean, how often do we do that? If 
you can. I don't really trust, I don't believe, but if you can, I would venture to say almost at this point, this man was desperate for healing, not just for his son, but for himself, for his unbelief, right? So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? If you can do anything, he says, have compassion on us. Note the if of the question lies not with God, but with us, right? We're the ones asking if. Jesus is like, just believe, right? Just believe. I can do this. This is nothing. I mean, think, I mean, with a, with a snap of a finger, Jesus can cause the whole universe to come into order. I mean, that's nothing for Jesus to heal this man. And, and so he's sitting here in this quandary. So it is a good beginning to saving faith to say if. I think that's okay. Say, man, I want to believe you can do this, Lord, if you can will you save me? I, I think that's okay. In fact, the father had yet to reach, I think, the state, stage of true faith. The father had not reached faith that would secure the miracle, but he wanted to believe, right? Have you ever just really wanted to believe in something, wanted to believe in somebody, Wanted just wanted that satisfaction of knowing I can believe in something and it comes true? Does it not sound too easy sometimes to say, save me, Lord, just save me? Does that sound too easy? When I tell people this, I, I get this all the time. I get this blank look. It's all I have to do is call and ask him to say, call, ask him to save you. The Bible says it's faithful to do that. But to us, that sounds too easy. The question we must all answer is, do we believe that Christ can do it? It's not if he'll do it. Can he do it? Does he have the power to do it? Have I seen him do it? See, trust destroys the if of our, belief, our unbelief. Okay, so, so if we truly trust, if we truly trust him, so to believe that Christ is able to do something, I don't think that's the tripping point. I think many of us would say, well, we believe he can, but will he? I believe he has the power, but will he? I, I can say that it, it, it maybe somebody in their marriage, they can say, I believe he has the power to save my marriage, but will he? I believe he has the power to save my husband, but will he? See, throughout the Bible, God seems to be saying one thing over and over and over and over again. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? It's much like a man walking along a, a sandy ridge of a cliff by the ocean, and he slips and he falls, and on his way down is one lone branch. He grabs a hold of that branch. He's just hanging there. And finally, after a few minutes of desperation, he begins to call out to the valley below. He says, is anybody down there? Can anybody help me? And, and he hears a lone voice call to him, just piercing really clear. He says, I'm here. Let go. Trust me. And God's like, what? No. <laughs> I, I, I can't. And then, and then the guy finally eventually cries out. He says, Lord? Is, is this God? I mean, that's the only person you think of it that I'm says, yes, trust me, let go. I got you. The man waits and he puzzles and he's like, man, I cannot hold my grip any longer. I'm fixing to fall. And eventually you hear this voice crying out through the canyon. Is anybody else out there? Anybody at all? See, anybody else is what we're looking for in our world today. We want anything else to save us, to put our faith in other than Jesus Christ. Trusting God is an element of true saving faith. We have to trust. We have to let go. See, if your faith in Jesus amounts to this, you believe that he is able to save you, you trust him to save you, even though you may have a host of fears, uncertainties, that's everybody. You cry out to Jesus, I believe, and then the Bible says you're saved. So to say, Lord, help me, is to say, I want to trust you. I need help with my unbelief. That is a legitimate prayer. Have you ever prayed that for? Lord, I want to trust you. I want to believe you. I want to believe you can fix this. I want to believe you can fix my family. I want to believe you can take care of this situation. Can I truly trust you? Please help me in my unbelief. In fact, in 1 John 1 10, it says, if we say we do not sin, okay, we make God out to be a liar. Now, this is another issue. Okay? It's not a matter of discounting our sins and our failings and our failures. That's not what this man does. He didn't go into all of these things, but he wants to trust in something. So the second question is, how is it that faith can be so difficult? Why is faith so difficult? Why is it difficult for us to trust? They tell us today we live in the most, one of the most untrusting cultures in, in history. 
Okay, what do we trust in? I, I was thinking this uh, even this week. Um, we drove down to Victoria uh, to help our daughter move. And, and as, as we're driving back, I was thinking of, of a man I met uh, there. Uh, he works, uh, he's the maintenance guy at my daughter's church. Uh, the man has been uh, incarcerated, locked up for the majority of his adult life. He just freely would stand in my daughter's backyard, shares with me his testimony, right? He just, I mean, gives me his whole testimony. He said, I remember seeing these Christians come into the prison, and they were so happy, so full of joy. He said, man, I didn't know what that was like, but the, even though he noticed that, what he noticed was when they went out of the prison, they didn't search them very much. Right, they, they were a pretty easy way to get stuff in and out of the prison. So he thought, I'm going to go to their service next week and see if I can talk one of them into smuggling some stuff into the prison for me. Right? I mean, that was his whole motivation to go into church. So he goes and sits down and, and starts to think about this. Well, what do you hear? Trust in God. He will save you. He loves you. He said, I, I'd never heard that before. I'd never been loved. I'd never put my faith and trust in anything other than myself. He said, that's what I always trust in. Why is faith so difficult? It's difficult to get the idea of faith into someone's head. Okay, so I, that idea rests somewhere between our ears, right, in this gray matter in our head. How do we get faith into the mind? The human mind has been preconditioned to, to distrust. Did you know that? From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was, it was preconditioned uh, after the fall. So after Satan came into the garden and tempted Eve and, 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 then, and then Adam, and they both fell, from that moment forward, there's been this distrust. What was the first lie in the garden? God doesn't really mean what he says. You can distrust God. You don't have to believe in him, right? He's trying to ruin your fun. I mean, all of that is that faith is something that, that we trust in, even though we don't see it, we don't understand it. In fact, Jesus said that we come to him like, what, a child. We need to trust like a child. Have you ever seen a childlike trust? So we have, it, come see me after church. I'll show you, show you the most beautiful baby in the world. I have it on my phone, hundreds of pictures of my granddaughter. Okay, and I know everybody thinks Sarah's is beautiful, but mine's gorgeous. And so I love my granddaughter. And my granddaughter, uh, I mean, honestly, that childlike trust. I mean, oh, your heart melts when she runs up to she trusts me enough as her as her pops for me just to grab her in my arms. Man, it just does something to your heart. But do we come to God like that? See, we try illustrations, anecdotes, parables, all kinds of things to instill trust in someone's heart, but it's a matter of they can't get it in their head. So the idea of believing is alien to our mind. In fact, Paul says over and over, we are aliens in this world. There's something alien, foreign in our minds. I grew up in New Mexico, in Hobbs, and so Roswell is not far away. That is a kooky place. If you go through Roswell, you see all the green men and the spaceships. Trust me, I had to grow up with it all, all during high school. Everybody made fun of us when we left. Oh, y'all are that state that has those weird alien people, right? Well, what are people wanting? They want to believe that there is extraterrestrial you know, beings out there somewhere. Everybody wants to believe in something. But instead of understanding that our mind was not made for this world. It was made for the Spirit of God. In fact, Martin Luther said this. He complained that he thought he must take the Bible and bang people over the heads because he could not get it into their minds, right? I wouldn't advise that. That's not a good way to get it into someone's mind. See, the understanding is I think this is proof of the depravity of man. You know, that we all have a propensity towards sin. So to trust Jesus for salvation and, and knowing that he will save you is something any child can understand. I can teach a child to trust Jesus. Trust me, when we go back to Journey Kids, we'll teach them the story of Jesus. We'll teach them the gospel. Some of you have little older kids. You can teach them Jesus loves me. You can teach them God loves me. You can teach those easy concepts. But here's the problem. is the unregenerate mind of a lost person. Someone rebels against that idea. We don't believe it. That's got to be too easy. And then we start asking questions. What am I here for after 30, 40, 50, however many years you've lived? To be delivered from all of my sinful desires and depravity. Is that even real? If you tell someone that they must go to a desert to live and as hermits and eat berries and drink water out of a well, 
guess what? They'll probably do it if they know that that'll get them there. If you tell somebody that they must scourge themselves or whip themselves with wire, trust me, people have done that through the centuries, right? And, and cause suffering to themselves in order to believe. People will do that. But when you tell somebody, just have faith and believe, just trust him, that's the last thing the world wants to do. See, when a person gets over the idea of extreme ease and they see themselves as they really are, here's the good news. Grace may be too good to expect, but not too good for God to give. Grace is too good for me to expect him to give me anything good. On any day, Pastor Mark can fall into all kinds of sin. He can. You know, if left to myself, that's what happens. Well, why do, why do I believe that I am saved? Well, I know that I'm saved because God says that the person who believes and trusts in Christ alone for salvation will be saved. Can all of those years of sinning really be wiped away? Can an instant of believing really change my guilty heart and my guilty mind? Is it not God's way to do wonders in a short amount of time? As we talked about, he spoke, it says in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. He spoke a word. You know what happened? Man, all of creation came into existence. Jesus only said to the demon in this position, Right here, as he throws this man down, it says he's convulsing. And you notice the moment he comes into the presence of Jesus, man, he, he, is, he is repulsed, right? And so he throws this man down. And all Jesus has to do is say, be gone, get out. And he's gone. In fact, I love what it says in 2 Peter 3a. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, okay? And this is how we, we recognize who God is and who Jesus is. Is that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So He speaks, and it's it's done. Okay, from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. See, that's what God holds. Here's the problem: people cannot be satisfied with the Word of God alone for their faith. But for the believer, if you believe that this book is the very word of God, then you're going to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and is going to do what he said he was going to do in your life and my life. And so when we cry by faith in our weakness, help me with my unbelief, he's faithful to do that. So forget about all of the things that you've done in your past, okay? He saves you from that. See, the idea of believing starts with understanding who we are. We have to know who we are. See, the man came first to Jesus, understanding he didn't believe. He didn't trust. Hey, that's a great start. If you're here this morning, you're listening, and that's you, that's a great place to start. Come to God. Say, I don't believe, I don't trust, but I want to. Help me in my unbelief. See, the man came to Jesus first when, when he understood that there was only one person that possibly might somehow, in his mercy, help his son. See, faith produces holiness, the Bible says. But when we first come to Jesus, we come as unholy people, right? What happens? Many people feel like, I have to clean this up, right? I have to get my act together. There are people all the time that uh, I ask them, what's, what's the one barrier? What's keeping you from coming to faith in Christ? They said, well, I'm not good enough. I said, you're exactly right. You are not good enough. That's a great place to start. Let's start there. You're a sinner, right? Of course you're not good enough. We come to him to be made holy. And so Jesus does not receive holy people. He makes us holier. He's the one that comes in and takes broken lives and changes them for the good. Suppose I have, um, this time of year after we've had all this freeze, it's hard to imagine I have these bulbs. My dad used to plant them and these iris, these really beautiful plants would come up, right? And he used to love, in fact, they used to have these things, I don't know, I guess they have county fairs places, but he would take them, right? And they win all these awards. And, and my dad loved those bulbs. When you look at a bulb, what does it look like? Just a dried up shriveled onion, right? It's like, what? Something beautiful would come out of a bulb? Am I supposed to really put that in the ground? So let's say that you discount that he can truly make something beautiful out of that bulb, and you just, you just hang on to it. You're like, I'm not going to put that in the soil. Can I really trust that to be true? No, I can't see it, but I know it's true. And so here's the cultural problem. People are clinging to the idea that they must do something. They must feel something first before coming to Jesus. If you take a wounded man who has, he, who has a healing ointment, Okay, and he has the healing, but all he does is he takes, takes the linen cloth and he wraps it around and he leaves the ointment off. 
What is that? Faith without Jesus is nothing. You have to have the healing. That's Jesus. That's our focus. Number three, this is our third question. What is it that can make faith easy? Okay. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I, I don't think it's all the time completely easy. But I will tell you the one thing that makes faith more easy for you and me. Faith is made easy by the Holy Spirit alone. It's the Spirit of God. That's the only thing that can make faith mean something. So I don't know if you've ever had somebody you know, come to you and say, how can you be so calm in this situation, right? It's snowmageddon, right? We're all going to die. Obviously, we're here, so we didn't, right? But people freak out over stuff like that, okay? And, and, and we have concerns. You know, we're, I mean, we're used to having turn on our, our faucet and water comes out, right? Boiling, what's that? Boil water, right? Uh, my wife, I can show you our bathtub. We filled it with snow. We're like, dude, snow, there's water right there. We're going to live, right? So we scoop up snow, put it in our bathtub. We're good. We'll live. But see, the reality is, is that without the Holy Spirit, it makes true faith and true believing impossible. He changes how we see ourselves and how we see God and how we see, see his word. He illuminates this book for us. That's why an unbeliever, you can give them the Bible and you can have them read scripture, but it doesn't mean anything, right? It's just words until the Holy Spirit comes and, and starts to ignite things in our life. In fact, in, in uh, John 1, 12 through 13, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in, he gave the right to become children of God. That is the only right we have who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God and of his spirit. See, it's all come down to this, that I believe uh, that God is the one that can save me. Is it true or not? Do I believe it or not? To, to the, the, the only response for me is to believe. Believe. He helps us apply the word to our lives. So I can apply this now to my life, right? That's how, when we talk about scripture, so we have community groups here at The Journey, and we sit around in those groups, and what do we do? We begin to apply this word to our life. Let's read it. The Spirit will, will share those things with us. It doesn't mean the word of God changes, this word means what it means, but the Spirit applies that to our life. See, Jesus Christ came into the world to save who? Sinners. What are you? A sinner. <laughs> if, if nobody's told you that lately, just let you know you're a sinner, right? That's who we are. That's who we are. We are all are sinners. But he says, come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden. What does he say? He says, I'll give rest for your soul. We read that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then we read again that whoever will let him take the water of life that he freely gives, he will bring it up into a well springing out of our lives. And then once we become a believer, we read, go into all the world and take it worldwide and preach the gospel to every culture, every creature, every nation. And as we are creatures, we conclude that the gospel has something to say to us. And this word becomes personal for you and me. So we say the gospel is directed to us. I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to insert your name in here. Okay, I'm going to put my name, okay? So your name is, mine is Mark. Yours is, you know what it is. <laughs> you fill in the blank, okay? What might you not say if you're tempted to doubt? You might say to yourself, there are many Marks besides me, right? So that message might not really be for me. It might not really be personally directed at me. If it was directed to your address, you might then fear that uh, another Mark maybe once lived there or somewhere close by and they got the wrong address of the house before you were born, right? And that message may not really have the right date. It may not be appropriate for you. Even supposing that your name was there and the address and the date, you might be mistrustful enough to think that there must have been a mistake. There must be somebody else that the Spirit is calling and leading. But when the promise comes to you, to him that believes it, it has the power to say. Spirit speaks to us directly, individually. He comes to us. There's no mistake. We know when that comes. It is very obvious. He shows us the glory of Christ. He shows us what Christ really looks like. So Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, our Savior is God in flesh, right? He is truly God. 
And this very fact helps us believe Jesus had just come down off this mountain of transfiguration and, and, and all this crowd is around him. And the first thing that happens is he's confronted by a man who's struggling with his unbelief. He says, Lord, I want to believe. I believe, but please help me. See, every Christian can confidently say that all of the destinies of heaven and earth and time and eternity rest in Jesus Christ alone. And he's our focus. When we miss our focus, we miss the point. He helps us then perceive the completeness of his work and sacrifice. Jesus is enough. I don't need anything else. He's enough. See, if you can see the Son of God for who he is, lifted high on a cross, then you can say confidently, surely he can save me. Surely he can save me, right? I must think that if, if infinity, if holy suffered for the guilt of the whole world, the holiest one, on this that has ever lived, should the eternal take upon himself all of humanity's sin, bow his head to death, and it wasn't good enough for me. It's enough. It will always be enough. See, some have believed by the sight of others converted, just like this man in this prison, right? He sees all these joyful Christians coming in. And I know that's scary. Trust me, I see some of you walk through the door that are new believers, and you're looking around like, oh my gosh, what has gone on in here, right? Are, are they drinking something? I don't know. But everybody's happy. Everybody's full of joy. See, that, that is what it means to be a believer in Christ. Some of us may say, I've committed adultery. Hey, go talk to King David. He did too, Right? And he experienced the grace and mercy of God. Some may say, I'm a persecutor, I'm a blasphemer. Go talk to Paul. You know what? He was too, Saul of Tarsus. And yet he calls himself the worst of sinners, but he received the grace of God. Some may say, you know, it feels like every day I just have a devil or a demon inside of me because I just want to sin more and more. You know what? So did Mary Magdalene. And Christ, the Bible says, casts out seven demons. He brings us to the point of desperation as to all other hopes. So think about this. There's a boy awakened in a house which had caught in fire, and, and he goes to the window, and the father is down below, and, and he's crying to his son. He says, he says, jump, drop, I got you. I'll catch you, right? And the boy's scared to drop, right? He's clinging onto the windowsill and just, just can't go. And then finally, desperation, all desperations, he's thinking about it. He thinks, maybe I can, maybe I can. And then all of a sudden, a blast of fire comes through the window, hits the kid on the back of the tail of his tushy, right? And knocks him out the window and the father catches him. So sometimes, this is what the spirit does. He compels us to come to the father. He compels us. I don't know if that was your story. That was mine. He compelled me. In fact, the moment that I knew that he was calling me, man, I could do nothing else but believe. When have you had circumstances brought to you to the point of desperation in your life, and you just need the Spirit just to give you that little push, just to move you forward? So I want you to think about this in closing this morning. Don't worry about whether or not you have enough faith, Right? Because I'll tell you what, if you're asking that question, you probably do. Don't focus on the quality or quantity of your face. Focus on the object. Focus on Jesus, right? Focus on him. See, the Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground. You're not the only one who's ever experienced that. We all breathe the same air. We have the same problems. We have the same difficulties. We're the same citizens of this country, of our, of our community, right? And many of us have to pay the same prices for life. But the difference is that each step we walk as believers, each breath we breathe, each note we sing, it goes to talk about the grace of a holy God who loves us and who sent his son over 2,000 years ago. And now the Bible says what? He rules and he reigns in yours and my life. So this is not my life. It's, it's not. I love, I use uh, all the time, uh, we go back to Romans 12 too, right? That we don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your minds, right? So this morning, some of us, we just need to have a, a change of focus. We need our minds changed, right? God is our overwatch and we can trust him 
with every part of our life. You know what Overwatch is? If you've been in the military, you guys know what this is. Uh, so Overwatch is something anytime you go onto the battlefield, you always have somebody, if you're said, watch my six, my back, right? And so the Overwatch is the person that's supposed to see the battlefield and they see all the danger coming. And guess what? They're going to protect you. They're going to make sure you don't fall. They're going to watch out for you. See, that's what God does for us. He's there constantly. He's your overwatch this morning. So I would ask you this morning, if you've had that question, even as, as, as early as this last week or as this morning, you know, can I truly trust that he'll help in this situation? I, the simple answer is yes, he can, and, and he, he will, and he does. But the, the more difficult question for you to ask is, do you believe? And if you do, the Bible says he'll offer salvation to you and to me. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. Father, I thank you that you came. God, you lived a sinless life here on this earth. And Father, that, that at the cross at Calvary, the death, the penalty of sin and death was paid for for all time. Father, please help us in our unbelief at the times of our life when we struggle, when we've, we've prayed, we've prayed, and it seems like that nothing comes, that help doesn't come. But then like, like the man in that prison, Father, who all he was thinking of was himself and a way to, to gain more access in that prison cell. Father, you brought redemption to his life because he heard the light of the gospel compelling him to come from you, come to you, just like a flame out the window and it hit him right between the eyes. Father, I pray this morning that you would do that for some of us, God, that need to have our faith increased. We need to have the mercy of your grace uh, increased in our life. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that we take that to you with all of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our worries, God. And, Father, that you would take those and that you would um, shoulder those. God, be the yoke for each person here this morning, God. And we know that you'll never abandon us or forsake us because you love us. and You have had mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace over all of our lives. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So this morning, if you're here and, and you don't know that kind of faith, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you may know about him, okay? I believe this man uh, was a Jew, by the way. He probably had a lot of head knowledge, but this is the first time he really had to put his faith and trust in anybody other than himself or the world around him. And maybe that's you this morning. The Bible says that if we come to him as a child, if we confess him as Lord, if we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died as a sinless lamb on the cross of Calvary and called him to save us, the Bible says he will. He is faithful and just to do that for you. So I invite you to do that this morning. And, and I'm going to be available in just a little bit. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Or if you want to get together this week, let's just have coffee. Let's hang out. Okay, uh, because I want you to know the grace and mercy of Christ. But you're here this morning, and you're a follower of Christ. I would just pray that in your life this week, Father, wherever you're failing in your faith, that you would pray to God, say, help me with my unbelief. Help increase my faith this week. We're going to enter into a time of the Lord's Supper of Communion. It's been taken for over 2,000 years by the church. It's one of the greatest pictures that Jesus gave to us that he instituted before he went to Calvary to remind us of where our faith is, and that's on him alone. So I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Christ and you've professed him as the Lord and Savior in your life, to come and take the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, we have a table front and back. Just bring the elements to your seat take that together. You stand. Let's come to the table. Let's
So as Jesus sat with his uh, disciples, they had a meal. Um, I don't know what those meals were always like, but I do know that Jesus loved to fellowship and have meals with his followers. And so as he sat with them for this meal, the very last meal that he would have on this earth as, as, their, um, as their master. And I can imagine all the, the things that were going on in their hearts and their minds and their souls, but he wanted to leave them with a very visible picture of what he was gonna do at Calvary. And so the Bible reminds us they took the bread and he passed it to them and he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Let's eat the body of Christ. picture of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world had been given over generations and they would bring the Lamb to slaughter at the temple and literally the, the lifeblood of the Lamb would be spilled on the altar of God and that would be the offering but now Jesus is that Lamb and the Bible says he went and he died sacrificially for you and me so that we could have life and so gave the greatest picture as he took the cup we're reminded as he also blessed he passed them to them saying take drink this is the blood of the covenant for salvation. Let's drink, church. I want to encourage you this week to remember it's not about the quantity or quality of your faith. It's about the one you believe in. That's Jesus Christ alone. Come to him in faith. He will not cast you out. Let's stand and respond to God's word this morning.
so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. I want to thank Marcus uh, for filling in for us this morning for Landon. Um, it was one of those last-minute things, and I've, we've been so blessed. I've been blessed here at the Journey to have guys, man, they just step in, and they serve faithfully. And so uh, so please thank Mark this morning uh, before you leave for doing that for us. I know he's one of those selfless servants. We have a lot of those people that serve in the background, so he's going to thump me later for mentioning his name at all. But uh, I did it anyway. Um, and I want to remind you of a couple of things. Don't forget your Connect cards. You can leave those in the back. We have a, a men's. Uh, we're starting our um, our men's group back. We'll be meeting the first Saturday in March. Uh, and we're going to be talking about men fighting against sin. How do we do that uh, corporately as a body, as men? And we'll talk about things uh, for you guys. So we invite you to come. We'll have a breakfast. Uh, and uh, we'd like to start planning some work projects and things we can do as guys here at the Journey as well. So I would invite you to come for that. Um, and do want to remind you, uh, God calls all who are followers of Christ to steward our resources faithfully to the kingdom of God. We don't do it begrudgingly. We do it because we love him. It's never that God needs our money because he doesn't. He needs our obedience and our service. And you do that in several ways. Uh, we have an offering box at the back. You can also give online at thejourneyclean.com or on our Journey app as well. So we'd invite you to do that this morning. Let me pray us out of here. Father God, we thank you. God, for blessing us with such a beautiful day to serve you. Father, we thank you that the snow is now melted. As we know, seasons come and seasons go, Father. But you are faithful. We can trust you with that. We can take that to the bank this morning. I pray that your word will be on our lips as we leave this building. And the message of the grace and mercy of a holy God we can trust in will be with our feet as we go. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Six thirty.